All right, welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. Now, for our new listeners, just so you know, our All of the Above full episodes deliver a whole bunch of news and deep dives and shout outs and, and all kinds of great stuff. And those come out every two weeks. And that, of course, is a video show, but also a uh, audio podcast. But in between those, those full episodes, we like to take a moment during Passing Period to deliver a special um, segment related to a story that didn't make it into our full episodes. And this is only for the podcast listeners. We have video extras if you head over to our YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash all of the above. But for you podcast purists, we have passing period. And uh, today's story is about one of our biggest fans, um, the uh, esteemed Esteemed. Betsy, esteemed. Who's holding that esteem? <laughs> Betsy DeVos. Uh, Jeff, tell us, what's, what's up with Betsy nowadays? Man, well, I generally tend to pride myself on being fairly diplomatic in, uh, in my use of language, particularly in the, in the public sphere. Indeed. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say something that I think is the reality. Betsy DeVos is horrendous. Hmm. She is the worst secretary of education we have ever had. And that is saying something because we've had some not very useful secretaries right, of education. Right. Uh, she is a woman who seeks to do harm to American public schools in no uncertain terms whatsoever. And I have a personal loathing for her performance on the job. But how do you really feel, Jeff? Because <laughs> exactly. I, I, I gather a I, uh, hint of... Um... You're not, 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 not that big of a fan of hers. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a certain resentment that people can feel towards like bureaucrats uh -huh. who just kind of don't do a good job. Right. She is so far beyond that. She is an intentional saboteur of American public education. She's awful. She's the worst. <laughs> that's that's about as like we diplomatic need to break the, as I can get. The source for you today to, yeah, to ask. I think there's not enough <laughs> words. Exactly. To, can we go to thesaurus.com wow. and type in the worst and see what comes up? It's probably right. a picture of Betsy DeVos. Yeah. And our listeners, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of you don't see our videos on YouTube, but they tend to have a singular thumbs down. Like no matter what we post, sometimes within 30 seconds of it, posting on YouTube, there'll yeah. be the one thumbs down and it stays like one uh, for the duration. And we suspect it's, it's Betsy. We're I think, pretty sure. I think she not only subscribed to us on YouTube, but also, also enabled notifications. So whenever something new goes up, she goes right there and gives us the thumbs down. But there's a particular specific story. Um, there's so much that we could talk about in terms of what she has done. Uh, but there's a specific story that we wanted to talk about for this week's passing period. Um, Tell us about that, Jeff. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. So uh, first of all, I, I, I do just want to say we're commemorating Betsy's 1,000th day in office, mm. uh, which happened uh, a week, about a week ago now. Um, and, you know, to her credit, she has survived in a highly tumultuous Trump highly. administration. Yeah, she's one of the last she's, remaining originals. She, she's been declared in contempt of court for continuing to rob innocent people who've been robbed by their for-profit she wears colleges. that contempt with pride, I'm um, sure. And, of course, to go even further on the glory of her thousandth day in office is this story um, 
that uh, some folks uh, over at EdWeek um, have uh, have done some good reporting around, which is her plan to encourage more charter schools in opportunity zones. Now, I can imagine that most people who are listening have no idea what opportunity zones are, and that's because you have not read thoroughly the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, otherwise known as Trump's trillion dollar wealth transfer to mm -hmm. uh you know to the the richest among us but uh what's happening here is there are these things that were created in the tax cuts and jobs act called, called opportunity zones it is the literal embodiment of trickle-down economics theory right this idea that we're going to create further incentives via tax cuts for the richest people who make money off of their investments to take that money that they're earning and in exchange for even lower taxes um, or deferred taxes to invest that money in low-income communities and communities that have been sort of besieged by lack of investment across the country. So you might imagine this as like, you know, a, 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 a part of your town or your city where there's not a lot of good infrastructure, not a lot of jobs. And in theory, this act was supposed to incentivize rich people to take their stock uh, the money they've earned on stocks and interest and invest it you know in that community in reality what, mm. <laughs> what is happening in these places is folks like donald trump are building luxury condos in places like you know south los angeles or whatever mm. um and uh the people who live in those communities are not benefiting from it um and betsy is layering on top of this uh, a strong policy push to incentivize people to invest that money in the expansion of charter schools in those communities. And these communities exist all across the country, right. Some, in some cases in places where charter growth is not allowed legally, right. and they are trying to, uh, to change that, right? They're trying to expand the number of charter schools in low-income communities where there aren't yet a lot of charter schools. Um, so as you can imagine, uh, Betsy's not drawing any kind of love from <laughs> from teachers, educators, unions, just about anybody, yeah. uh, except, uh, you know, maybe Jeff Bezos feels good about it. Warren, he might. Warren Buffett, perhaps. Um, but that's the general gist of what's going on here, Manuel. What, what do you yeah. think? Um, well, I mean, it's complicated in one regard and not complicated in the other. So the complicated part is just the, the charter school discussion because you and I both know of charter schools that are very high performing with the sense of um, providing much needed uh, quality education for students who otherwise uh, might not be receiving the same level of education. There are great charter schools that I know of. Um, however, there are so many charter schools that essentially either take advantage of um, the system in order to enrich um, folks' um, own pockets or just are of such substandard quality that they completely undermined, undermine the education happening in particular cities and communities and, and regions. So it's a difficult discussion in the sense of, um, you know, to what, what level is this story about my feelings about charter schools and perhaps incentives to increase the number Currently, 70% of Opportunity Zones don't have a charter school, and DeVos obviously wants to make it to where every Opportunity Zone probably has a charter school. Um, but then there's the not complicated part, which is this idea of the Trump administration finding yet another way for 
wealthy folks to decrease their own contribution to our, our nation uh, with regards to the taxes they pay and do it on the backs of um, folks who have been marginalized and taken advantage of for so many generations. So this reminds me of a, a phrase that we had growing up where I grew up, a phrase that I don't hear as much anymore because it definitely does not sound... Um, all right. Poverty pimp is the phrase that we used mm. to use in my community. Poverty pimp referring to somebody who would swoop in for grant money or opportunity to so-called support people in an uh, impoverished area or a marginalized community. And so often they would do it with the guise of charity, of trying to help the people there, when in reality they were just doing it for their own for their own pockets. So anytime, like, let's say there's a grant to uh, support kids in South whatever, and you know this program swoops in and the person's all about the kids and doing this stuff or whatever, whatever, and at the end of the day, kids aren't really getting anything. That program or that person is uh, cooking the books and, and, and getting the money and disappearing as soon as the grant runs out. So uh, that's a poverty pimp. And these opportunity zones are essentially, uh, or along the same lines of, of thinking with regards to, okay, here's a zone that we could say needs more support, needs more attention and look at us um, and all of our charitable greatness providing for development or encouraging, incentivizing development in these areas to help the people there. But, oh, by the way, the development that's happening is actually something that is uh, not only not supporting the people there, but making it to where more and more of them, in the case of like luxury condos, like you mentioned, uh, more and more of them not being able to actually stay in those zones. So opportunity zone um, or you know, gentrification zone, whatever you'd like to call it. And for Davos to be behind this effort to increase the number of Charter schools there, um, not surprising at all. Um, just one item on a long list of things that she has done to undermine public education and undermine quality education for uh, students across the nation. So it's, it's, um, it's really whack. I could imagine a whole bunch of corruption within it and within those numbers and uh, it's trash. <laughs> are those technical terms? They are quite really whack and Tra trash. Yes, yeah, uh, scientific, Jeff. Quite, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I fully, fully agree. I don't even have like it is hard for me to muster constructive language to talk about Betsy DeVos and her performance and her job. Uh, I, I think Randy Weingarten, head of uh, AFT, who uh, mm -hmm. might have summed it up best by saying. After 1,000 days in office, Betsy DeVos has made clear she doesn't know much about education, about public education, and worse, she doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that pretty much sums it up. So the reality is, I, I think, you know, as you mentioned, um, I am not a person who is just blanketly anti-charter. Right. Um, I think we have huge problems in the way charters are being used to undermine public schools, particularly in low-income areas and particularly in, in, um, in certain districts where we have huge over-concentrations of charter schools. Yeah. Right? But I do think that charters have a really important role to play because the reality is big bureaucracies don't do a good job at tailoring and customizing supports for diverse aspects of the community. That's right? facts. And so I know of some charter schools in certain cities that are doing like great Afrocentric education with kids, yeah. right? There are charter schools that I've personally, uh, you know, seen and, and worked closely with mm -hmm. that are doing work intentionally work with kids who are like 19, been thrown out of three different schools right. and like still trying to finish their education, right? right? And there is no way on earth you can tell me that like, 
a district school is doing a good job with those yeah. kids, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the system has failed, and here's a school that's like trying to figure it out, right? And trying right. to do right by them. And I think there's a role for charters in those spaces in our in our system, especially. I've also, you know, seen in some cases, you know, rural contexts, right? Where oh, yeah. there's like one school and that school's pretty terrible. Right. Right. And like the the political will is not there to improve that school and a charter coming into that situation can can be a lever for that, right? I don't say it's without consequence or controversy, but I think there's a role for charter schools. The reality is, in most places that I'm familiar with around the country, we have too many charter schools. Mm. It's not that we don't have enough, we have too many. And that is where the, the tension between uh, you know, creating intentionally innovative spaces in our field that can do customized, more niche work, um, are, are just being used as a way to undermine uh, one of the larger unionized sections of workforce uh, yeah. in America and to to sort of fulfill the kind of like Milton Friedman wet dream of like we're just going to privatize everything and, right. the, and the transitional path to get there in our country is by replacing all the district schools with charter schools. Um, so, you know, I get the anxieties, the frustrations, the the real serious pushback people have against charter schools. Um, and and yet, I think the solution is not just oppose everything charter, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if this policy were being administered by some people who weren't just like wicked haters of <laughs> public education, maybe there could be some good things to yeah, do yeah, here, yeah. right? Which is say, like, the most economically distressed communities in the country, we need investment in that. Right. And we need resources going to schools. Right. But I, you can be almost certain that what's going to happen here in these contexts is replacing, in, a, in especially in more rural contexts, replacing the public schools that are there. Right. Replacing the unionized workforce that's there. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, letting all these wealthy people hide their money and reduce their, you know, share of taxes that they should be paying, which right. is part of the reason that the schools there uh, that are struggling are struggling so much because these yes, indeed. folks with all their money on Wall Street won't pay. Right. So uh, and Betsy, of course, is just sitting there as the like uh, bumbling idiot who's in charge of it all. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. All right. I have nothing to add to that. Um yeah, not mentioned in the uh, Ed Week article about this is whether or not new charter schools in Opportunity Zones through this plan will be allowed to have firearms for protection from grizzly bears and such. <laughs> uh, so that's yet to be determined. Oh, that's yet in, to be in determined. case of grizzlies. But, yes. but yeah, that's wild. So, so yeah, we didn't discuss that in our most recent full episode, which, of course, um, was an episode featuring the great... How many school shootings have we had so far this year? Um, we've had we've had too many. Too Any many. Numbers, too dozens. Many. We had one just sure. a week dozens. ago. Dozens. We just yeah. had one a week ago here. Yeah, not this far past from where week we here in California, right? right? Um, how many grizzly bear attacks have we had in schools? Well, Jeff, maybe it's just not grizzly season yet. Just give it time, <laughs> Jeff. Give it time. <laughs> exactly. Now you it's have some. You're gonna have some MAGA person somewhere hoping for a grizzly <laughs> attack, just so yeah. he can prove you wrong. Probably. You probably. Know? But I'll tell you what, you can count, count the grizzly attacks on one hand for oh, sure. For sure. For and sure. I, I'm willing to bet that the school grizzly attack count in America is exactly zero. Yeah. 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 You're right. But that, that one attack, Jeff, they're going to own the libs with that one. That's right. 
All right, so before we head out of here for this passing period, um, Jeff, last week I was in Sacramento. So, you know, I serve on the Instructional Quality Commission, which is a, a board that advises the State Board of Education in California on matters pertaining to curriculum and frameworks and curricular resources. So we had a vote on an item that actually we talked about on this show I think, was it a full year ago? Maybe two, uh, it was a while ago. And at the time, I didn't realize that I would be sitting on the commission um, with actual vote and say in this matter. But we talked about Studies Weekly, one of the nation's largest curriculum providers for social studies curriculum. And there was a Facebook post that went viral. A parent took a picture of an assignment from Studies Weekly that asked students to uh, basically think about being a plantation owner and how would the end of slavery impact you? Some, something along those lines, like asking students to think about slavery from the perspective of those who were doing the enslaving. And a parent took a picture of it and went viral. And the company understandably received a lot of criticism and decided to convene a diversity board of, I think they called it a diversity board, or maybe that's just what people were calling it. Uh, but anyways, convene a panel of advocates and professors and experts to look at all of their curricular materials and basically recommend changes. So Studies Weekly went through the process and since California is one of the eight states that has uh, formally uh, adopted Studies Weekly as a resource provider for social science content, um, they had to, in California, if you make any changes to your resources, you have to go through a whole process to get those changes approved, which is helpful so that you know a company doesn't get something approved and then make these wild changes that weren't approved and get that into classrooms. Yeah. So in any case, being on the Instructional Quality Commission, uh, we received the uh, recommendations from the California Department of Education, um, which looked at each of the changes and looked at the process by which these changes were made to make sure they complied with ed code and all of that. And then we had um, a vote as to whether or not these changes would uh, suffice or, or, or follow the proper legal process. And now it's in the state board's hands. So um, one thing I wanted to point out that about that was I looked at the changes that were being made to uh, social science curriculum in California. And during the meeting, it was said that these changes were, the changes that were being made were minor changes. And what was meant by that was that they were technically minor changes in the sense that chapters weren't being changed. The structure of the content wasn't being changed. It's essentially like the terminology being used, especially around um, how the curriculum spoke about indigenous peoples and slavery, those things were changed and that was deemed minor enough for this to be recommended for approval. But you and I know that those changes are not minor in any kind of way. So I, I um, thankfully had the opportunity to uh, share with the, the commission and um, those in attendance that although something like changing the tense with which indigenous peoples are discussed. So uh, some of the changes the indigenous peoples were discussed in the past tense, mm -hmm. um, and some of the changes were to just change that you to mean present they're tense. Not, they're not all gone? Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> technically- Small but important change. Yeah. So We in, still exist. It, indeed. Yeah. So in terms of like how many letters were changed in that sentence was minor, but these were, were massive changes and I just wanted to basically, I guess, give some credit to Studies Weekly for listening to the criticism, even though the CEO, I remember at the time, was saying that this was about political correctness and, and whatever, you know, he played the whole, like, people are just too sensitive game. But for the rest of the people in uh, who are, are part of that company, to for them to hear about, hear the criticism and do what they can. So I, in looking through the changes, the changes were, were very, 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 in my personal opinion, uh, as a history teacher, 
um, very welcome changes. And there was a lot of changes. There was a section about immigration where they had a picture of a space alien, literally had a picture of a purple oh, space yeah. alien. I remember. And, you know, in it, they were talking about like, you know, an alien is somebody who comes from another country. No, not a space alien. And the picture that a student saw yeah. in that third grade curriculum was a space alien. So they changed that. And instead of a picture of um, faceless farm workers for the immigration page. They had uh, a black woman in a hijab at a, at a laptop. So they did, they made a lot of these changes, which I hope is a sign of things to come from other curriculum companies, because I think all these companies out there making all this money off of curriculum, um, I think they all need to do this ongoing work. Like we talked about the importance of teachers and teachers thinking about the harm that they might be doing to a student and with regards to like this teacher that was misgendering their student, for example. Um, I think everybody needs to be reflective, not just teachers and their personal beliefs and how they uh, impact their students, but also these curricular companies and what kind of curriculum they're putting forward. So I enjoyed being part of the commission and having that come to our agenda and be like, yo, we talked about this yeah, on all the above, and here I am getting to speak on it on record and, uh, and, and vote and hopefully send a message that other companies need to uh, follow along these same lines. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad you shared that story because sometimes in our profession it's easy to just see the, uh, you know, the things that you wish could be better than they right. are, and we don't often get to like, see through uh, to fruition the work of making it a bit better. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or making it a lot better. Right. Uh, so that that's a that's a heartwarming story. Um, I do think though, Manuel, something you didn't explore much there is uh, you being on that commission. Yeah. Um, that makes you part of the uh, the liberal media elite who is biased and corrupting the minds of the youth of America to hate yeah. freedom and America and take the Bible out of school. Is that is that your official stance on the social studies curriculum? Um, well, pretty much. So I'm aiming to become deep state. Like, that's my goal. I want to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, one day, hopefully exactly. I can be deep state. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm just a California libtard yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, doing my best. Yes. Um, a pencil neck and, Yeah, pencil neck libtard. <laughs> um, doing my best in commie. Uh, Fornia, as as some have started to call it. To, yeah, um, you can't see right now, folks, but he's wearing a big, big red shirt. Um, clearly, the sickle is in the backpack. Clearly, I think, right now. <laughs> clearly. Uh, All right, folks. So that does it for this passing period. Again, passing period is just a time in between our full episodes, just to give the podcast listeners um, a little bit of extra content uh, related to stories that we sometimes can't squeeze into the full episodes. But again, please hit up our YouTube page youtube.com slash all of the above, all one word, and uh, check out the video extras. We have a lot of one-on-one -on -one interviews and discussions with folks um, that we've um, spoken with over the years. And also, if you haven't already, rate us, review us. That, that goes a long way. We're trying to build our, our fledgling audience and, uh, and get into more teachers and educators and educator advocates' ears. So uh, we appreciate you for that. And in about a week, we'll hit you with another full episode in which we'll be talking about suspensions and the school to prison pipeline. Where are we at? Where are we coming from? And where are we headed? All right. So look for that in about a week. All right. Passing periods over. It's class. <laughs>